five, four, three, two, one. Lift off of the Falcon 9. Hi, I'm Mark Boucher. This is the SpaceQ Podcast. SpaceQ produces more than just this podcast. I encourage you to visit our website at spaceq.ca to check out the latest news and original stories written by myself and our other writers. We cover the space sector in Canada, along with select international stories, including new space. We also publish a newsletter with the latest stories from ourselves and other trusted sources, along with some information and analysis that you won't find on our website. For more coverage of the global space sector and the U.S., please visit our affiliate sites, spaceref.com, nasawatch.com, and astrobiology.com. If you like what we do, then please support us on Patreon. Our Patreon address is patreon.com slash spaceq. We need your support to keep producing this podcast and writing original, impactful stories. My guest this week is David Kendall, the chair of the United Nations Committee on the Peaceful Uses of Outer Space. David is a faculty member of the International Space University and was a senior executive at the Canadian Space Agency during his long career. While trained as a scientist, David has become an important leading expert on global space policy and law. Today we're going to discuss the current state of space policy in Canada, followed by the global perspective. Welcome, David, to the SpaceQ podcast. Well, thank you, Mark. It's a great pleasure to be talking to you. So uh, I have to start with this question. How did someone with a PhD in atmospheric physics become a global expert on space policy and law? <laughs> well, first of all, I'm not a, an expert on space policy and law, but uh, I've been quite fascinated in this aspect for a, a number of years. Um, the progression there is an interesting one. Um, I was, uh, as you say, I started off as a program scientist um, and uh, uh, had my PhD in atmospheric physics. Um, then I uh, joined the Space Agency, well, the National Research Council, as it was then, and uh, um, and then be- and then worked in the uh, in developing uh, the science uh, program for the uh, for the Canadian Space Program. Uh, joined, of course, uh, in 1989, the Space Agency when it when it was formed, um, and then uh, Peter's principal became um, more and more uh, incompetent as I was uh, promoted up through the uh, ranks and uh, until I became the became the, the director general of uh, space science. Um, uh, when I became director general, I had the I had the fortune to have some really excellent directors working with me. Um, the people that uh, were effectively doing the work were uh, were superb, and I I didn't need to uh, I didn't <laughs> didn't need to micromanage them. They uh, they 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 had all the abilities that, that they needed to run a, a great program. Um, so I became more and more interested, really, in how sort of. Uh, how, how the funding and the policy aspects of developing a space program and a space science program in particular worked. So I, I had a, a number of uh, positions, well, positions, I mean, say I, I was involved with the granting councils uh, for a number of years um, on, the, on, on seeing how 
funding was happening in the granting councils and uh, was was a member of their um, advisory committees or their uh, their, their their committees which uh, looked at the uh, uh, at the proposals that they put out every every year, um, and that was uh, that that really made me lot, uh, very interested in in the whole question of uh, of then national policy and national funding aspects. Um, and then I started to work with uh, the Committee on Space Research called COSPAR. Um, uh, Jerry Atkinson, my, my boss uh, before I became, uh, became a, a director, uh, was, uh, was uh, heavily involved in COSPAR. Um, he was uh, on, the, uh, on the Bureau. And then I became a Bureau member as well. Um, uh, I followed in his footsteps. Um, and then I became, after COSPAR, I became involved in the International Astronautical Federation, um, and then started to become involved and interested in what was happening on the really the global scale uh, with uh, the Committee on the Peaceful Use of Outer Space. And then I started to go to meetings and, be, and became as a head of the uh, Canadian delegation, uh, especially for, with respect to the Scientific and Technical Subcommittee of the of Copius. Um, and it sort of just evolved, and, and I became sort of sucked into this world of uh, uh, of. Uh, well, in the end, how how what decisions? How are decisions made, both nationally uh, and globally, uh, that uh, allow science to be uh, to be supported? Um, and then I had the good fortune to be nominated for the chair of the committee, uh, which of course is much broader than just the um, the science aspect or science and technology aspect. And so then I, <laughs> I got even more sucked into the more the uh, legal uh, and, uh, as you say, the uh, the more general global policy aspects. So um, it, it was just something which I, I was lucky enough to to be exposed to, um, and uh, and found it uh, found it and still find it uh, quite fascinating because in the end, if you're going to run a program, uh, you do need to become in, in, involved, I think, um, and uh, familiar with the the, the, to the fund. It work work basically, as I said before, started with the funding process uh, and then worked uh, in, in itself into the more um, more broader aspects. Um, so really, it's just uh, just the way it's uh, it's happened. So I, I think it's pretty safe to say that you're 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 an expert. Um, okay, before we <laughs> before we talk about global space policy and law, let's focus a little bit on on Canada to start with. Um, what's your yeah. what's your take on the current state of space policy in Canada? Um, I, I think that the space policy in Canada is currently going you know going through some. Uh, uh, some real uh, deep reflection, um, and I think that's very healthy. Uh, I, I think that we really, um, as been has been pointed out a number of times, space policy has not been really uh, refreshed in a public manner uh, for quite a number of years. Uh, one even can go back probably till 1999, and uh, and the, uh, the, the 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 time of uh, Mac Evans, and uh, when the uh, when the Agency at that point in time was uh, was uh, transitioning from a base funding to well, sorry, from uh, from five year funding to a base funding, um, and that was a very uh, exciting time for you know new new policy decisions on space, um, and uh, that was I, I think a very uh, a landmark time for for the for the program because it uh, it gave us a base funding and 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 allowed us allowed the program to uh, to really you know expand in in in, in very interesting interesting ways. Um, 
And since then, I think that there's been, um, I would say personally, I believe it's been a little sort of spotty uh, from, uh, from, you know, we, um, uh, General Natinchuk, uh, when he was president, uh, put forward the, uh, the space policy framework, uh, the, the sort of, the, um, which I, I think was really a sort of interim um, policy framework in some ways. Um, at that point in time, it was needed. Uh, and the government was looking for a uh, somewhat of a refresh. It was done fairly quickly, um, and I think it, it, it held up fairly. I think it's held up fairly well, um, but I think there's there's now a real need, and, and certainly not only a need, but the government is um, uh, through the agency and through uh, ISED and, and uh, other other stakeholders. You know, I know is looking very seriously at uh, at how. A new policy uh, framework and a new policy process. Uh, you know, we've heard a lot about the strategy and the, the plan, and 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 how that uh, how we need uh, that to be developed. And and uh, you know, it's taken its time, um, but I think we need to get it right. So I'm not uh, I'm not really unhappy about that uh, personally. Um, I think it does need all stakeholders' input. It's very good to see uh, a space advisory board uh, with uh, with excellent uh, representation um, being also involved. Um, and now we just have to, I think, uh, make sure that we have a, a plan and a process to, to really look um, with all stakeholders, all national stakeholders, and at the international. And, and that's one of the things that I um, I think is extremely important. What's happening internationally? Uh, we're not. We cannot be isolated in Canada with respect to space policy, um, and uh, and then get it right and uh, and 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 move on. Uh, and I think that process. I believe that process is is underway. It's it's a little slow, and I know many people in the in the community are being frustrated by it, uh, by the slowness of getting that out. But uh, it's some, something which we 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 have to take the time to get right. And and I and I'm. I'm hoping that, uh, and I'm not involved with it, so I'm, I'm, I don't know the, the details of, uh, of the process. Uh, but I, I'm, I'm, I and others are looking forward to, uh, to seeing that uh, in, hopefully come out in the, uh, in the not-too-distant future. So last year, the Institute of Air and Space Law at McGill University completed a mandated independent review of the Remote Sensing Space Systems Act. The results are yep. slowly being digested by Global Affairs Canada and the government who are studying yep. what to do uh, as uh, with uh, the results uh, of the review. Uh, it's clear regulatory changes need to be made by the government to become current with the times. One of the recommendations was for Canada to create a new General Outer Space Act as the Remote Sensing Space Systems Act has been, in effect, been used as Canada's General All-Purpose Outer Space Act. What are your thoughts on, on this recommendation? I'm a, I'm a strong believer that uh, we do need to have a um, Canadian Space Act in in its broadest sense. Um, uh, it is the, the the governance of space in Canada is uh, shared in in a, in a number of jurisdictions, a number of areas, a number of departments. I think it makes it a little complicated. Well, that I don't think even it makes it. It is a little complicated for outsiders to um, navigate their way uh, through uh, for small businesses or for new startups to 
to know who to go to and, and, and what is uh, what is Canada's position and uh, and even the sort of the application process and um, and reg- regulatory process is uh, can and should be streamlined. Um, I think much in a much uh, cleaner way. Um, there is uh, there um, there are several now uh, countries which who have. Uh, have developed their own national space acts uh, that 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 are I think good templates that we could use and look at to to see how we might move that forward. I, we need a Canadian solution clearly. We don't need to need to copy uh, anybody else. But uh, there are some uh, you know the United States is going that way. Um, uh, France, uh, the United Kingdom um, is, uh, and, and there are other countries who are now putting together I think comprehensive space acts. Um, uh, that uh, give a particular government department the mandate to uh, to control or not control exactly, but to govern uh, space activities. Um, it could be shared, uh, but I think it might be more effective and efficient if it was just under one government department who who took on that responsibility. Um, and and it again, it's just needed uh, when you're dealing with uh, space as has changed. As we all know in the last 10, 15 years, um, governments are now not the major player effectively in space activities in the world. Um, over 75% of global um, uh, uh, activities uh, in terms of uh, money is, uh, is is in the private sector, um, space agencies, uh, space programs glo- uh, globally, national space programs have, have changed dramatically and are changing, and the pace is still consi- is still accelerating, and uh, uh, and the uh, governance framework within any country has to. Uh, has to try and keep up with that. Uh, governments tend to be slow, um, and, and there's no, nothing wrong wrong with uh, with uh, having some reflection. Uh, don't you don't need to move uh, rapidly and get yourself get, get it again. Uh, get yourself tied up in in issues which uh, which you haven't thought through. But uh, I would hope that there is a an appetite in Canada um, to uh, to think uh, to take that recommendation from the McGill study and to look at a um, comprehensive act in Canada, which I think is both necessary um, and uh, is essential in order to ensure that uh, especially the private sector have uh, have the best uh, have the best tools have the best um, uh, have the most effective and efficient way of uh, of, of, of developing their, their business because that's really who you who you want to work with and and, and that this is the uh, sector which needs that uh, uh, needs that clarity I would say. So to to follow up on that just briefly, the review also stated that although the objective of the act is to balance the public interests of Canada with the private interests of commercial remote sensing operators, the act leans more in favor of protecting Canadian national security interests at the expense of technological development and commercial interests. The response from mm-hmm. the response from government didn't agree with that assessment. A spokesperson uh, at the time, when the report, uh, when we talked to them, when the report first came out uh, from Global Affairs Canada, said the Remote Sensing Space Systems Act provides a licensing regime that ensures national security concerns are met, while balancing innovation and commercial interests 
uh, of Canadian industry. If the the independent review disagrees with this statement, is there a way forward that meets both needs, especially in light of the faster-moving commercial space sector? Well, I I think, Mark, that uh, what is needed now is um, is a a look, well, is working with stakeholders. Um, This cannot be done in isolation. The government can't just, uh, in my opinion, just uh, pronounce that this is uh, this is fine. Everything's working well. Um, uh, There is, I think, clearly a uh, clearly an issue. Um, the uh, government needs to work with uh, obviously security aspects with department, you know, all stakeholders here, Department of National Defense, uh, commercial a- actors, um, other uh, users of remote sensing um, information, um, and obviously take into account the, um, the global picture here, the international picture. We have certain responsibilities with our, with our allies, with our colleagues. Um, uh, internationally. Um, it's a very complex business and um, have we got it right with the current act? I, 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 don't, think, I don't think anybody effectively thinks we do. Um, I'm, I haven't spoken to Global Affairs about it, but I, I think that even they are, um, uh, are sensitive to the point that, uh, they, that, that something needs to be developed now or something maybe uh, a relook at this. Obviously, they wouldn't have presumably asked the McGill, uh, McGill group to do this review if they didn't think that there was uh, maybe some things that needed to be uh, considered. Um, um, and uh, since there is this, uh, this interesting recommendation coming from the reporter, I think it's, uh, it would be very timely uh, to, as I say, uh, to do what we tend to do and, and I think is, the, is always the best way forward is to convene discussions uh, amongst all the stakeholders uh, and fairly transparent discussions um, uh, where uh, various views can be, can be developed um, and ideas can be put forward as to how to, uh, uh, as to, how to manage this both nationally and, and globally and with the various stakeholders. It is, it is a complex issue and, and it is, there's no easy fix, I don't think. So, um, uh, but I think the status quo does need to be, uh, to be uh, the, current, the current regime uh, does need to be looked at because it is, it is a little bit uh, long in the tooth these days. Yeah, I just point out that the uh, the review itself, uh, this was the second one, uh, and it actually is mandated by law every five years within the current act. Okay. So, um, okay, thank you. One last question on on uh, related to the Canadian side of things, and then we'll move on to the global stuff. Uh, and this actually concerns one of your colleagues, former colleagues, Graham Gibbs. He um, mm-hmm. he provided a, a paper to Space Q. Uh, he did a podcast uh, with me uh, on space policy efforts in Canada. Um, and he, he said this, I had hoped that the Space Advisory Board mandate, as given by the Minister for Innovation, Science and Economic Development, Canada, would be to inform a national space policy versus a new space strategy. While a new space strategy is welcome, especially if it comes with new funds, the future of the Canadian space program from a policy perspective is less clear. So based on that, do we need a new national space policy first instead of a strategy? Yeah, that's a very good question, and I I, I would uh, hate to uh, disagree with Graham, who has uh, 30, 30 plus years of uh, of uh, 
policy um, chops, one might say, um, uh, preeminent uh, space policy person in, uh, in in Canada, and uh, of course has a, has a has a very distinguished uh, um, resume on this uh, this subject, especially working with uh, with the policy people um, and and looking at the what's happening in the United States. It, it's a good question, um, uh, and I I'm. I, I know that we've been focusing in Canada on the strategy, and the strategy, of course, is we do need a we do we, we do need the strategy. Whether or not we need to refresh the policy, um, given the space policy framework that uh, that General Nisinchuk put forward a few years ago, um, is again something which I think needs to be. Uh, needs, needs to be debated and discussed in a forum whereby we have stakeholders around the table. Um, this has led effectively, as far as I can understand, um, and I, I'm not not quite um, sure of the uh, 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 say of the uh, the way that uh, these things are being developed right now in, uh, in in the in in Canada in the in the government because I'm not uh, I'm not directly involved in, in the government after having been retired now for three years. Um, uh, but I think that right now that I said is taking a lead um, in in developing this uh, these ideas. Um, and it would be, personally, I think it would be useful to, to for I said to lead a, um, a discussion again with the various stakeholders. And, and of course, there are multiple stakeholders um, as to whether or not that we should start with a policy as uh, or refresh the policy as Graham has suggested, or whether or not the current uh, space policy framework that is in that that was developed what now five years ago um, is still current and still uh, useful and uh, uh, and can be used as a basis for the strategy and the plans that, that will, will now come out of that. Um, uh, I. I don't have a strong view either way, um, but I think again, you need we need to ensure that the uh, the community uh, and the stakeholders uh, are uh, have discussed this and are of a uh, are of an opinion. I I think it's unfortunate that we that we don't seem to be putting together in this interesting time. Um, these um, these forums that uh, uh, that would be uh, that I think are, so to bring all the all the voices together and to debate and discuss and then to come to some consensus as the as, as the way forward. It seems to be that you know we do have the space advisory board and the space advisory board has been is being asked to. Um, uh, to communicate with stakeholders and to be a sort of a mouthpiece to some extent and to be listening uh, to uh, to stakeholders' uh, concerns. Uh, but I, I think that there is a need right now to have something a little more intensive than that with a, uh, a meeting of, uh, of minds, one might say, um, to uh, to go through some of these uh, these aspects and come up with some conclusions and some uh, and a way forward. I think it's being a little bit uh, siloed right now. Um, perhaps that could be uh, could be maybe may could be resolved um, in in a better way. Okay, all right. So let's transition to uh, the global space and and, and policy domain. In uh, mm-hmm. in in. 2016 and 17, you were the chair of the United Nations Committee on the Peaceful Uses of Outer Space, uh, or as it's known, UN Copius. Um, that's quite yep. an honor. 
Uh, tell me about your work during those two years, what you did, and what it meant for Canada. Okay. Um, well, it, it does, curiously enough, in, it, although it's, two, it's 2016 17, um, I am still currently the chair of the committee. Um, I, I do not get uh, replaced or uh, stepped down until June of 2018. So I'm, uh, I'm still effectively in that position. Uh, it starts, it's a two year position, start, started in June 2016 and ends in June 2018. Um, the, My uh, mistake. It's been a very interesting. <laughs> sorry? My mistake. <laughs> Sorry, Mark. Yeah, no, 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 no problem. Um, uh, it is a very, uh, it's been a very interesting couple of years. The, uh, and it, it's, I think it's, it's a prestigious position for Canada. Of course, uh, I represent Canada. It's uh, Canada's been given the chair. Um, I just happen to be the person that is taking the, uh, the position, but it's a really, a, really a team effort. Um, it's a team that comprised of uh, of colleagues from um, uh, the Canadian Space Agency and their policy shop and uh, Global Affairs Canada, uh, and it is a it is an effective team. And I think we've uh, we've we've done well as a team uh, during these these past couple of years. Um, one of the things that we we set out right at the beginning was to try and increase the membership of the committee. Um, the committee right now, uh, I think when I started or when Canada started to become chair, uh, we had uh, less than 80 members, and I think we now have 87. And uh, by the time that uh, that uh, the chair, uh, Canada's chairmanship finishes, we should probably have, we'll have 90 members of the committee. So we've made a, made a push to try and increase the, uh, the membership of the committee. Um, just to put it in, in context, uh, the United Nations has 193 member states. Um, so this is a this is actually one of the larger committees of the United Nations with uh, with close to 90 member states as the members. Um, and we've also, I think, been very effective as a team to promote uh, two aspects that major aspects of the committee's work uh, during this this period. Uh, one deals with the space sustainability. Um, this is a working group that was set up in uh, 2010 and will come will conclude its work this June um, and with 21 new guidelines, and we can discuss that because I think that's a a very major achievement by the committee. Yeah, we'll get to that um, in a second. That, yeah, and the and the Canadian team, I think, has been extremely effective in uh, in, in assisting the chair um, to develop. Uh, and to get consensus uh, throughout this period. And the other major aspect was that when um, when Canada became chair, we were beginning to put together. Um, a refreshing, a refreshment, let me put it that way, of the uh, agenda, the COCUS. And this morphed into a pro program called Unispace Plus 50, uh, which would be a major uh, event this June, um, where uh, new ideas for the agenda of, the, of, of COCUS are put forward in, in, as a resolution for adoption by the General Assembly. Um, and I think that... Uh, uh, that uh, Canada has been very effective at, uh, at promoting and assisting the Office for Outer Space Affairs 
which is the secretariat of the committee, um, to uh, to develop this program um, and to uh, to get it to where it is, uh, which I think is going to be a, 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 a successful conclusion in June. Um, so, uh, so I think Canada can be proud of its uh, of its accomplishments uh, in the past couple of years in in, in a, a period of uh, quite an in, intense discussion and uh, a debate and uh, and with a couple of very uh, uh, I would say uh, important uh, aspects uh, that will uh, affect the, the global governance of uh, of space activities throughout the world which is what which is which is Copius's mandate oh, hey that's a good uh, summation of, of what's been going on um, in February, uh, you participated in the UN Copius' uh, Scientific and Technical Subcommittee's 55th session. Uh, that mm-hmm. session produced nine guidelines, which you referred to uh, earlier, uh, mm-hmm. which uh, are intended to re- reduce the risk of collisions in space and other harmful space activities. And although non-binding, non-binding was agreed to by uh, 87 nations, including Canada, uh, let's talk about those guidelines and, and, and what they mean. Um, so, but first, um, the 87 nations, did that include the big, uh, players that agreed to this, the U S Russia, China, uh, European union? Yes, indeed. Uh, the, uh, the European union is not a member, cannot be a member of no, it's the, the individual uh, countries. Yeah. Uh, the individual countries within the, in the, in the European Union who basically work as a bloc. Yes. Uh, in fact, yes. Um, the, the strength of this, these guidelines, of course, is that all of the major and the minor space players in the world are members of the committee. So they have all agreed uh, to these uh, now 21. We had... Um, we had resolved 12 of the guidelines um, and had those accepted by the committee um, or had been agreed to by the committee in 2016, two years ago. And uh, in the discussions, as, as, you, as you point out, Mark, in June, in, sorry, in February in, in Vienna uh, at, the, um, at the effectively the last full meeting of the, of the working group, nine further guidelines were agreed to. Um, I should point out that there are still seven guidelines, which are rather contentious ones that are, still need more work. So uh, we left seven on the table. But out of the 20, 28 original guidelines that we were working on, uh, I think it's a remarkable um, achievement uh, by, the, uh, by the chair um, and, and, and by all the delegations who worked very uh, collegially to, uh, to get, this, uh, get these, these now 21 new guidelines to be agreed to. Um, uh, this is, uh, and, and again, just to point out a couple of things that we've, that you've mentioned, and I'll re-mention, is that this is all done by consensus. So we, all you need is one, one state to say, I'm, uh, I'm sorry, I can't, uh, I can't agree with that, and, uh, and then we go back to square one, um, because you know that, that it is effectively, uh, we have to have all 87. Uh, nod their head and say agreed, uh, and that's uh, in this in this geopolitical world we have today is a very interesting uh, process and a very difficult one. Um, so it, it is it is uh, uh, it is very very uh, uh, encouraging just to, to see that happening. Um, now I, I think the reason for that, uh, because you know one could say why 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 was there success? Well, I think 
one of the reasons is that that the members of the committee, uh, the, state, the people who represent the countries, um, they ha- they are obliged to give certain political slants on uh, on aspects of, uh, of of our work. Um, this is uh, this is uh, this is mandated by uh, by capitals, and uh, and uh, and so there is a certain amount of friction, as you can imagine, in this sort of uh, when you're talking with all the various countries uh, that we're we're discussing who have space programs. Um, um, but in the end, I think that there is a generally a very general understanding that uh, space is a very, very fragile um, uh, environment and that the um, security, the sustainability um, uh, of space really does require some strengthening of the uh, rules that that govern the use of space. Now, uh, there is no appetite right now, clearly no appetite to put a new treaty in place. Um, treaties, uh, binding treaties are extremely, extremely difficult to, uh, to negotiate, especially in such a large group. And, uh, um, and it's, uh, it, there is, I would say, is never zero possibility, but there's only a very, very small possibility um, that we're probably going to get uh, future treaties. And if we do, it will have to come through very, very strong leadership by the major players, by the, by the Russians and the, the Americans and the, the, the um, European countries and the Japanese and the Chinese and India, of course, who's a big player these days. So, you know, if, if you had the leaders of those countries who said we absolutely have to have something, some tougher regulations that, let's say, um, mitigate or alleviate space debris, um, as an example, then probably something might be able to happen. But right now, the leaders of those countries, uh, this is very, very low in their in their agenda. Uh, so I don't think this is going to happen. So given all that, um, the members of the committee are, I I'm, I'm, I am convinced, themselves convinced, that we need to do something. Uh, we can't just let this uh, almost Wild West uh, situation uh, continue. Um, and that's why we have, uh, we have people who are uh, individuals and uh, who represent their countries who are really, really um, negotiating in good faith to try and make something come out of this, and this is why we have we have achieved this. I think this remarkable success. Now, what do these 21 guidelines mean? Um, uh, you say they're non-binding. They are non-binding. Um, uh, so they can they can be ignored. But um, international soft laws, you know, would would suggests or uh, imposes certain. Um, Restrictions. If you sign up to a guideline, if you have actually said, I'm, I'm going to try and, and, and work with this guideline, yes, there may be national security or other issues which, uh, which hamper you, uh, you being the country, from, uh, from fully implementing, let's say, a certain guideline. Um, and and, and you, there's, no, uh, <laughs> there's no policeman here who's going to say, well, you've, uh, you, you haven't followed that uh, guideline you signed off. Uh, but um, uh, most countries, well, all the countries that are signing off on these guidelines, they do have a, 
responsibility uh, and they are seriously taking that responsibility to try and see if they can if they if they are able to um, impose those guidelines on their own uh, on their on, on their national legislation so the way here that it works is that the um, the guidelines are now uh, up for adoption by by the nations, by the states who have uh, who have signed off on these guidelines, and this is going sort of flipping right back to the initial part of our conversation. Um, Canada now needs to look very seriously as it develops new new national legislation, a space act, for example, or something like that, as to how they're going to uh, implement and how they're going to include these guidelines that, that Canada has now signed off on into national legislation that govern the way that space is being used. So this is this is the process that's now ongoing um, and uh, countries have to step up and start to uh, take this seriously uh, because after all, there's <laughs> a moral, moral point of view here, they've actually signed off on, on something which uh, um, now needs to be implemented. So there were 21 uh, guidelines that have been approved so far. It took eight years yes. uh, to, to get that done, and, and you've talked uh, uh, to the process to the process to, to some extent. So let's, and I'm sure that all the guidelines are notable. But uh, of those 21 guidelines, what stands out as as, as something that we should talk about? Well, let me. Uh, let me- I can. I don't want to go through 21 guidelines here, yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, let's let's talk about things like um, uh, registering uh, the registration convention. Everybody has signed off on the registration convention. Um, it's a very well known treaty um, from 50, rough, roughly 50 years ago. Uh, Canada. Uh, it's not very strongly implemented. Um, um, and I'll give you a couple of reasons why it's not implemented. Some countries almost ignore it. Uh, they, they launch things and don't uh, don't ever uh, register them, uh, formally register them with the UN, which is supposed to be the, uh, the the process they've signed off on. Or if they do, they'll do it three years late. Or um, And once it's registered, uh, and they have to give initial um, orbit uh, capital, orbit uh, parameters, um, if, if those orbit parameters change, um, they don't have to do anything about it. You know, the, 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 so the object is registered, um, but the orbit uh, orbit parameters are uh, totally out of date. Um, they also uh, often don't uh, inform UN when that object has has re-entered the atmosphere, for example, or whatever. So, so one of the guidelines is uh, enhance the practice of registering space activities, make it make it a tougher registration regime, so people know what's up there and um, and uh, and have the right right information. Um, we need to. Uh, one of them is dealing with collection, sharing, and dissemination of space debris monitoring information. The, the people that know most about what what's up there are the people that own the various uh, objects that have been launched into space. They track them very very carefully. Um, and uh, while there is this um, this global um, catalogue that has been uh, developed by the United States. Um, that is being considered to be privatized now, um, there is much more, often much more uh, accurate information from the operators of these satellites, and, and it would be nice to have that information so that we can do better conjunction analysis. Um, 
we need to uh, increase the trackability of objects. Um, one of the issues now, of course, is CubeSats. Um, CubeSats can be extremely small. There are things that are even smaller than CubeSats. And these are getting to the point where they're difficult, more and more difficult to track. So one of the guidelines is, um, is proposing to have a, uh, a beacon or something on, on board uh, every object that's launched that allows it to be more easily tracked from, uh, from existing ground-based uh, ground-based uh, um, uh, ground uh, elements. Um, sharing of operational space where the data are forecasts. Uh, some some countries do well in that. Other countries don't. They have a lot of information on space weather activity that is not uh, it's not well known and not shared and not not does not become uh, available. Um, there are just a few of those. I mean, say addressing the risks of uncontrolled atmospheric reentries. Uh, uh, so being more. Uh, I would say uh, helpful in 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 allowing the, in, in tracking and uh, um, and uh, try to develop better tools for ensuring that we know where objects, especially large objects, uh, are going to land. Um, so there are a few of the ideas that, that, that well, not a few of the ideas. Here, there are a few of the guidelines that have now been agreed to, um, and you can get a flavour that this is all looking at sustainability, always all, all, and security um, of, uh, of of the space uh, of the space activities, and going back again to Canada. Uh, Canada needs to uh, needs to look now at how it's going to um, deliver on uh, on the guidelines it signed off. So, uh, so you mentioned that there were twenty eight total, and there were twenty seven, or sorry, mm -hmm. there were seven guidelines. Twenty one uh, uh, have been improved, and there's uh, seven more guidelines that need more work, um, and that are yep. a little more contentious. Um, can you tell me? Uh, so, what's the pa What's next for those seven guidelines, and and um, what are some of them that are making them so contentious? Well. One of the big ones is the whole question of um, active debris removal um, of objects. Um, and there's a lot of, I would say, consideration right now with respect to uh, dual-use technology. Um, uh, it's, it's a little bit of a, a strange discussion. And, and the reason I say it's a strange discussion is because uh, several countries, uh, United States, uh, Russia, China, um, they, we know that they have uh, capabilities now um, through their, uh, the military side often uh, to go and do rendezvous inspection of other satellites. Um, and in fact, there've been tests of, uh, of uh, of sort of nosing up, one might say, to a, a, one of their own objects and and, uh, and and being able to capture it. I mean, say, so we know those technologies are starting to be developed and, and have been developed, um, um, and uh, they're uh, they're used in a fortunately right now in a certain in a way that is uh, is is benign or in, in with respect to they're not trying to destroy another satellite. They're just trying to see what that the, those satellites might might be doing. But of course, if you get that close, if you can if you can maneuver around somebody else's object, then uh, then obviously you can also um, uh, you know, do, do nefarious uh, activities. But this is this is something which is now uh, this is a technology which is now uh, not well developed, but it has been developed, and therefore. Um, uh, we we can use that technology, one might say, to go and uh, do do 
good things, which is to take big objects out of out of circulation in in space, uh, so they don't become a, a threat or danger. Um, and there are also, of course, uh, uh, other uh, purely commercial um, or uh, non non military um, uh, suggestions, proposals, and in fact. Uh, Experiments of the uh, spacecraft that are being developed right now um, in Europe, in uh, in, in other places, um, uh, Europe has something it's called Clean Space, which is, and they're, they're they're very concerned about this massive, great NVSAT satellite, which is the size of a school bus up there, which is uh, which is which is just sort of tumbling around um, in a very uh, uh, very crowded orbit. Um, so, uh, but there is a lot of sensitivities about how to. Um, how to put a guideline together that uh, that provides uh, guidance for uh, active debris removal. That's one of the of the of the difficult ones. Um, another one is dealing with lasers in space. Um, how what should there's, there's there's an agreement that there should be some some ideas as how to control. Uh, powerful lasers in, in space you know, that could blind other satellites, or again has a has a, has a dual use uh, technology. Um, the whole question of uh, of natural resource exploitation in outer space, um, clarity on the rules of ownership of outer space uh, objects, etc. These are type of type of things which still are. Uh, need need more need more work. So what's the next phase? This is your question. And the next phase is that these are now being looked at as part of this uh, refreshing of the of the agenda for COPUS in the future, part of this so-called Unispace Plus 50 exercise. So we are looking at a number of areas uh, where we believe that COPUS needs to get somewhat more serious uh, over the next uh, number of years, and and it, it, it's all part of a um, uh, a sort of a, basically a, a ten-year plan up until around 2030, um, when all, all these uh, these various aspects are being should be delivered. Uh, these include things like uh, international frameworks for space weather services, uh, which is uh, being led by Canada right now. Um, we have a very strong space weather uh, program, and uh, uh, Professor Ian Mann of the, of the University of Alberta has been leading an expert group for a number of years, developing uh, ideas as to how we can develop a new framework for international space weather services. Um, cooperation on global health um, is another one that is, uh, again, has been led up to this point in time. Pascal Michel of um, uh, of the uh, uh, of Health Canada is uh, is very uh, very much involved and been leading that uh, that aspect. Um, we're also looking at things like in enhanced information exchange on space objects and events, putting together maybe a, a, a huge global catalog. It's going to be difficult to do it um, and sharing information on what's happening in space. We don't have a global catalog. Uh, countries tend to keep that information to themselves um, and have the tools where people can, uh, can, uh, can look at this catalog, can pull data out and can analyze it uh, in order to ensure that we have the best possible picture of what's happening in space with the various objects and events out there. Um, so these are a few, few of the ideas. There are seven what we call thematic priorities that are being now discussed um, and will be put forward uh, this June for uh, for consideration by the General Assembly. We, we pretty well have a, 
a clear way forward here, uh, and then uh, and then developing these as as new agendas and new fo foci one for the uh, for the work of the committee in the next ten years. It's an exciting time for the committee, and I, I, and it's what it means is that the committee is active and, and looking at the um, at the current state and is, is, is trying to be proactive. Um, one of the big problems of the United Nations, of course, is it works very slowly. You, when you're working with 87 states on consensus, it, it, it's not an easy thing to do. You, you don't just get to go into a meeting and say, okay, let's agree on this, let's debate it for a, a few hours and, uh, and come out with a, with, a, with a conclusion. It doesn't work that way. It works over numbers, numbers of years. Um, and as we know, space activities the pace of space activities is accelerating. Um, and uh, the, I think people are concerned, people, I mean, the, the committee is concerned, members of the committee are concerned um, that uh, if, if, if Copius doesn't step up and step up in a somewhat more uh, effective way, uh, it could well be left behind. Because we're already starting to see um, states that are putting in legislation uh, the U.S. Commercial Space Act is, is a good example of that, uh, where they're pushing at the boundaries, one might say, of what the uh, Outer Space Treaty um, allows. Uh, they're not. Uh, they're, they're sort of. They're sort of saying, look. Uh, there's certain things here. We've uh, space Treaty is 51 years old now. Of course, you know when it was written, it was written very carefully and, uh, and has been an extremely um, useful and uh, an effective um, uh, act uh, treaty. Uh, but now it's a little bit long in the tooth, and now we need to uh, we need to to see what we what what. What does it say? How can we how can we strengthen it in some ways? Um, and and uh, especially you know the, the big one, of course, is the, is the uh, space resource um, exploitation, uh, space mining. One might say uh, this is the one which is uh, which is interestingly enough been pushing the agency right now, pushing the um, not the agency, pushing the, uh, the committee right now into saying, okay, you know, you are the legal guardians. What one might say of the, of the treaty uh, here? What what does it mean? And, and there's huge division amongst uh, amongst lawyers, uh, amongst space lawyers, as to what it means and, and what and how you can move forward. Um, interesting times, but uh, the debate is happening. Which is, it's not, it's not. People are not just sitting on their hands and saying, "Oh, we can't do anything." Uh, there's a lot of very active discussion going on. Uh, how it's resolved, I don't know, but it's a, it's a very interesting time to be involved in these activities. Yes, and. Um Space debris is one of those issues which uh, isn't going away, um, which right. obviously needs to be addressed, and eventually somebody's going to have to pay for it. Uh, maybe yep. somebody yep. will come up with an, a novel uh, commercial uh, business to, to, to make it uh, palatable, I suppose. Um, you've, right. already, you've already answered my next question, which was, how is the uh, Outer Space Treaty, uh, which is 51 years old, holding up? So we'll... Ask, ask and answered. Um, so um, let's just, uh, we'll wrap up with a couple questions here. Do you have any final thoughts? Because we could certainly go on for another hour, I mean, or two on some of the topics that you've mentioned, but I think we'll save that for another podcast. Um, do you have any final thoughts you, you'd like to share? Anything that you think we, we, we should be thinking about? Well, I think from a national point of view, uh, Mark, uh, you know, Canada 
is a player and, and is um, needs to continue to be a, a, a player in, in the global aspect. But, uh, we are somewhat concentrating right now on the uh, on the national scene, and that that's that's understandable. We have to get our national program uh, working uh, a little bit better, um, and everybody understands that. So I think there's nobody in the country that wouldn't wouldn't agree that uh, we need to uh, we need to um, uh, make a few decisions uh, nationally. And, and, and again, just to go back to the beginning of this conversation, I think that this is understood by everybody uh, and is is being actively worked upon in 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 a very I think in a positive way by uh, by all stakeholders right now. There's, there's there is excellent debate. Um, you know, I've I've been to uh, what the small satellite conference recently and other conferences, um, and you see a certain enthusiasm. I think in around the the, the people who attend the, the, the Canadians who attend these these meetings, but from the from the government from uh, from the commercial side. And from academia, that we're in a, in a period of, of change here, and and that change is uh, a little scary to some extent, but everybody understands that, that we we need to we need to do we need to step up nationally, and and, and that's 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 clear. Um, and I, I and I'm I'm confident that we will come out of this, and, and I can't give you a time frame, but I'm I'm hoping it's uh, sooner rather than later with uh, with some uh, with some new ideas, uh, some new funding, some new uh, new directions, and and I, I think that's on that's on track to some extent. A little slow, but it's it's happening. Um, uh, the what I would I, I would like to uh, you know, given my 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 international uh, hat, um, I'd like to make sure that, that Canada does not uh, forget that there is a big this is a big international global program, uh, and that we we have to be integrated into that program, and we have to put the energy and the uh, the um, I would say the. We have to we have to get involved. The involvement and the energy in 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 a big international program, um, and I think that I'm I'm a great believer in in now in in, in the way that Copius works. Because if Copius wasn't there, we'd have to reinvent it. Because there's no other body, it's a unique body, discussing governance issues in space, and we and Canada has been a good a, a very strong player in this committee. Um, if I was to say what what one thing that I would like to see, I would like to see Global Affairs Canada have a permanent space uh, person in there. Uh, uh, I don't mean uh, there is a permanent space person. I mean a um, a career space uh, office, one might say. It's uh, to me a little unfortunate that uh, uh, this is a rotational position um, with very uh, and, and the people that are in that position are, are, are great. They, they 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 really try as hard as they can, but they have. They have a huge portfolio. Not that space is just a very small part of, of what their responsibility. They're normally in the position for two years, and then they get rotated out. Uh, so somebody new comes in and has to relearn all of the uh, all of what's going on. Um, and I really think that uh, that uh, given the state of uh, of international relations, international pro- processes and programs uh, with respect to space, I would really uh, really like to see uh, global affairs. Um, uh, have a permanent office, just like uh, many other in states who have space programs. Their foreign affairs offices or, or, or 
comparatively in comparison to the global affairs. They have you know permanent space people who are uh, looking day in day out at the uh, at the, these aspects because I think it's uh, I think we have played a Canada has played a very important role and I think to continue to play an important role we have to have continuity there. So I'll leave it with that. Okay, uh, my last question is a personal one. Uh, what space uh, fiction or nonfiction or other books uh, do you like, and what are you reading right now? <laughs> uh, well, um, I'm uh, I'm not reading a lot of uh, space fiction. I'm not a, I'm not a great great sci sci fi fan. Uh, yeah, obviously, you know, I watch a few movies every, every now and then. Um, uh, I I tend to be. Uh, <laughs> what am I reading now? I'm reading uh, the uh, the Lives of Artists, actually, by a uh, story of Giorgio Vasari, which is uh, which uh, one of our one of our children is a, a art historian, and uh, I uh, find that sort of stuff quite fascinating. Um, uh, but uh, generally, um, oh, and uh, there's uh, Enlightenment Now, which is a uh, for those <laughs> those listeners that are interested in in, in good news stories um it's a it's a stephen pinker has written a, a very interesting who's a canadian but works in the united states written an, an, an excellent book about uh, um all of the things that are actually going right in the world not the things that are going wrong in the world it's a it's a very very well crafted um pretty dense book uh, with statistics that show that uh, in fact, the world is a pretty, pretty uh, successful place and is becoming more successful year after year rather than if you were to listen to uh, um, uh, you know, sort of pundits and people who sell newspapers and the media uh, is getting, uh, getting worse and worse and worse. So just about every statistic you can think of with respect to hunger, poverty, illiteracy, uh, women's rights, etc. doesn't mean to say we don't have to continue to, uh, to work on this. Absolutely not. We have to work, continue to work very, very hard on all these aspects. But in fact, we're making great progress, and much of that is due to the um, uh, the global goals of the United Nations uh, and now the, uh, the the sustainable global goals that are being put in place. Um, tremendous programs that uh, the UN is putting in place that most people don't know very much about, which is unfortunate, but are are. Um, are uh, extremely have been and continue to be extremely successful in tackling some of the major issues that face humanity. So it's a, it's a, it's a, it's somewhat of, of an enlightening book. So enlightenment now by Stephen Pinker. Well, I'm going to have to take a look at that because that sounds interesting. Um, I'd like to thank you, David, for being my guest on the, the space Q podcast. I hope that uh, in the future we can get you back on the show. Pleasure, Mark. Thanks very much, and uh, and uh, good luck with the uh, with the wonderful work you're doing in uh, in Space Q. I'm I'm a great fan, and uh, and uh, yes, and my final words is that uh, to uh, to everybody who's listening to this, uh, support Mark and his uh, his great efforts uh, at uh, providing providing us with the uh, with the real the real guff on what's happening in space in Canada. Thank you. Well, thank you. Well, that's a wrap on this episode of the Space Cube Podcast. If you like this show, please support us on Patreon. The address is patreon.com slash We really appreciate feedback, and to help us, we ask you consider to write a review on Apple Podcasts or Google Play Music if you're so inclined. If you have any comments on this episode, you can email me at podcast at spaceq.ca or you can post them on our website at spaceq.ca where you'll find an archive of each episode. 
If you send me a comment by email, I'll write back to you as soon as I can. On Twitter, you can follow us at Canada in Space. And if you use Facebook, you can find all our articles and links to the podcast on our page, The Space Q. If you like the show, please subscribe to us through your favorite podcast app.